Welcome into episode 133 of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Still working on a few more platforms to get uh, bring our show to you as many ways and as easily as possible. Darren and Andrew with you on this week's show, and we're going to continue talking all about the NFL playoffs. They're dominating the headlines. We have divisional playoffs to get you ready for and some recaps of wild card weekend before we get into those a couple quick hitter things here on the coaching side mostly on the college front the big news that came down last week rob right after about we recorded actually kalen DeBoer taking over from uh for nick saban at alabama and andrew whether or not you had insight or just looked into the crystal ball calling that one last week that DeBoer was going to be the higher we maybe thought some names uh, other names were floating around out there but Excited for DeBoer, seems to be like a likable guy and a good coach, really worked his way up and paid his due, so curious to see if he can take uh, his style to the SEC. Yeah, um, fast rise for Kalen DeBoer, and he took his staff with him, and uh, I know you never want to be the guy that follows the guy, but that is uh, that's a good hire for Alabama, I think. And if it doesn't work out, he'll get fired in two years and make $30 million to sit at home. Great. Good for him. (laughs) Well, we're going to focus this week on those aforementioned NFL playoffs, and we'll kind of merge together recapping wildcard games and looking ahead to the divisional round. And let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. The first, and we'll start on the NFC. The first game we had, Andrews Green Bay Packers taking down Dallas and Dallas, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I don't know what it is about this team that just, it feels like the Cowboys are snake bit. They can start climbing up the mountain, but when it comes to playoff time, they just stumble before they can even make it to the conference championship. On the other side, we have your Green Bay Packers who got hot at the right time. What was it? it started out two and five and now they've caught fire. So Green Bay, the first seven seed to win a playoff game since we went to the seven team format. Yeah. And Jordan Love looking amazing. 16 of 21, 272 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And man, that first touchdown throw and then that last touchdown throw, those were just throws that you're not supposed to be able to make in today's NFL. And Jordan Love did it. Uh, Aaron Jones was awesome too, but man, this, this Packers team has come together at the right time and they beat what I thought was a good Dallas team. And, they didn't just beat them. I mean, they completely dominated them. It wasn't even really a game at any point in time. The game was never really in doubt. So that is uh, that is one of the more impressive performances of the Matt LaFleur era in the playoffs, I think. And it, I get people criticizing Mike McCarthy and Dak, but it was this defense, this Dallas defense that's supposed to, supposed to be so great with Micah Parson and Marcus Lawrence and Deron Bland and all these guys in Green Bay just put the hammer on them early. I was a little bit in and out, didn't get to see the fir- first half of this game, but every time I checked the score, Green Bay had another point on the board. I don't know what it is, why a guy like McCarthy, I, it feels like situational football. Something is missing that when they reach this level, I think there's certain coaches, you know, like a Kyle Shanahan, or a Harbaugh brother who can adapt to the situation, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid. I think those guys are really good at it. Something about these big-time high-pressure moments, Mike McCarthy struggles more than you would expect a coach with his win, uh, winning record. Yeah, 
uh, Mike McCarthy's built his winning record on regular season games, not so much postseason games outside of the one run that was really fueled by Aaron, one Mr. Aaron Rodgers. So I'm not surprised, being the Packer fan that I am, that this is how it's going for Mike McCarthy and Dallas in the playoffs. I'm not really shocked at all. Uh, you got to put Matt LaFleur in that conversation. And also, I think what we're seeing with Packers is the perfect marriage of the perfect quarterback to run Matt LaFleur's offensive system and Matt LaFleur having a really good offensive system as well. So, and Jordan Love is the perfect guy to do it with and a very talented guy to do it with. So, um, yeah, Green Bay is rolling and I know they're 10 point underdogs or something. I think that's kind of disrespectful given of where they've been the past month or so. Um, question for you, and I'm trying to remain unbiased here, but is Jordan Love the best quarterback in the NFC right now? I feel like you've been saying that all season. Uh, well, we've seen that Hurts went down. I need to do more research on the numbers, but we may, to me, I think it's, you know, I love my boy Brock Purdy but I would need to do more in-depth just to argue whether or not Love is better than he or Goff. I think Jared Goff has been playing tremendously all season, and you can argue the same thing. Is he the right guy to run the system that Dan Campbell and company have there going in Detroit? You have a very interesting race between Goff, Love, and uh, Brock. Yeah. Um, Jordan Love has... The second most touchdowns to an NFC among NFC quarterbacks, second only to Dak Prescott, whom we're not going to throw in that conversation for obvious reasons anymore. Um, and yeah, just the efficiency that Love has been getting it done with. I think if he wouldn't have had maybe such an up and down start, you kind of mentioned the start of the season. Over the past month, though, November, December, now January feel like it's it's almost a no-doubter. And this is kind of goes to a broader conversation. I've been trying to think about how to pose this, and we can get into it more off, uh, you know, later down the road. But are, is this year an anomaly, or are we in a weird place with NFL quarterbacks that, yes, injuries play a huge factor, but Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, uh, blinking on all the other guys who were kind of taken down this year. Josh Allen has been up and down, but here we are with Baker and Jared Goff and CJ Stroud and Brock Purdy. And these quarterbacks that we consider second or third tier are the ones still standing. And these guys that we talk about being, you know, for a long time, it was Brady breeze, Rogers Manning. We just knew those were the top four for at least five years, I think in the league. And now it's kind of wide open and much more fluid than it had been. So whether or not it's just one weird year where all the top guys got injured, or have we really narrowed that gap where, sure, Patrick Mahomes is probably number one with a bullet. You can't really argue that. But then when you look from two through 25, it feels like the guys, there's a lot more parity than there used to be. That's true. There's a lot more parity, but I think we're seeing, uh, you mentioned CJ Stroud. He had an amazing performance as well. And I, I would consider CJ Stroud to start to be in that group and Jordan Love as well to be in that group of best quarterbacks in the NFL conversation. You're going to hear that talk after this postseason and all off season, you're going to hear Stroud and Love mentioned in that conversation and they deserve it based off the way they played. 
CJ Stroud has had maybe one of the best rookie quarterback seasons that we've ever seen. I mean, he's doing things that only, um, you know, Brady and, and Montana had, had done in their careers. He's doing it this year as a rookie. Um, so CJ Stroud is, is on a, another level, man. He is awesome. So, and love is getting there as well. So I think we're just seeing the dawn of kind of a new era in the, in the NFL quarterbacks. Well, we'll, yeah, we need to dig into that a little bit more, maybe in the off season and when we get to drafts, but for now, just thinking about the playoffs, I'm not really a diehard for any one team. I'm, if I had to pick a team, I'm kind of a passive Jaguars fan. I don't live and die with any one team. I just like football more than any one franchise. But coming up Saturday night, 815 East Coast, 515 West Coast. Andrews Green Bay Packers go to take on my beloved Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. And between Andrew fawning over Jordan Love as though he's already surpassed Dan Marino on the all-time great list, I really hope the Niners just put the hammer down on the Packers. I Give me an ugly bloodbath, done-by-halftime kind of game. Just just give me the Niners, just pounding the Packers. That's all I really want. Not going to happen. Uh, this uh, this Packers team is starting to give me a lot of uh, 2011 vibes where they made a run through and won it all in the wild card spot. And uh, whatever voodoo hold the Niners had on Aaron Rodgers, I don't think that exists for Jordan Love. And uh, I mentioned to the this to you privately, I think Green Bay has a better quarterback. And I would argue they have probably the better coach. Um, I think Brock Purdy will get exposed in this game. They're going to have to play from behind as the Packers are going to jump out to an early lead like they, like they did against the Cowboys. And Brock Purdy playing from behind, that's not his game. I think Packers are going to upset the the apple basket two weeks in a row. I got the Packers beating the Niners in San Francisco. So pulling up some historical numbers here, uh, looking at Matt LaFleur's tenure with the Packers, first year, 2022 is the first year Matt LaFleur missed the playoffs since taking over in 2019 for the Packers. Yeah. So they were 2-0 and in the divisional round before losing in 2021 to the 49ers. So two and one in divisional round games under Matt LaFleur. Don't know if that means anything, but I was like looking at the history and you compare that. I forget how long Kyle Shanahan's been there and how bad the Niners were. They flamed out the last year under Harbaugh. The Jim Tumstula was a sacrificial lamb. They just rolled him out there for one year. Chip Kelly didn't work. I forgot that Kyle Shanahan had two bad years at the beginning, went uh, 10 and 22 in his first two seasons, turning around the Niners before they made it to the Super Bowl. But the uh, Niners have never lost in the divisional round under Kyle Shanahan. One in 2019, one in 2021, one in 2022. So they've made it to the NFC Championship the last three times they've been in the playoffs. So I think that train's going to keep rolling here. Got to lose sometime. Yep. What better time than, than now? The yep. Packers. So. I, it, it, 
Aaron Jones is not going to have near the room he did against the Cowboys. Nick Bosa and all those guys are going to swallow up Jordan Love. Give me Brock Purdy and the boys. I want it big. I want it ugly. I want like 38 to 14 49ers. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen that way. I know what you want, but it's just <laughs> – it might happen that way in the opposite direction, Frank. quite frankly. This this Packers team is a buzzsaw right now. The Niners need to look out. I think they're they're in for a hurting. Do we want to talk about who the winner of that game will face on the other side of the bracket? I am ready. So the it's kind of the two little engines that could on one side you have the big powerful franchises and then this kind of quiet game that I feel like is four out of four if you had to ask ask the average fan. The Lions, who gave us the only good game of wildcard weekend with their nail-biter beating the Rams by one in the Goff-Stafford Bowl. Fantastic for Detroit. Even you, Mr. NFC North. I think everybody's kind of cheering for the Lions to some degree. Taking on Tampa Bay, and people aren't really talking about Tampa Bay winning. They put a hurt on Philadelphia. I watched a lot of that game, and the Eagles did not want to be there. They just looked mentally and physically and emotionally checked out of that thing. So not sure what is wrong with the Eagles, but they got hammered by Tampa Bay. So the four seed Buccaneers going to the three seed Detroit. I like both of these teams. I'm fine with whoever wins. I just think the lions are the better team and a far better story. So give me Detroit and what I hope is at least a fun game with two franchises that I'm don't love, don't hate, but just they're both likable. Yeah. Here's, here's your home team blowout. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have no business being, in this game, it's really too bad that the Rams couldn't have gotten matched up with the Bucks, so that the Rams could still be around in the postseason, uh, and the Eagles could be eliminated by now. Um, but which they already were eliminated by now. But we don't need the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the divisional round. I think the Lions are going to absolutely just mop the floor with this team. They kind of got the Stafford monkey. The we haven't won a game in the playoffs since 1991 thing. It's all off their back. They're just kind of playing with house money now. I think things can really loosen up for the Lions. So I've got Detroit hosting Green Bay for the NFC Championship. And Tampa Bay, since they went on their Tom Brady-infused Super Bowl run in 2020, they had him, again, they had Brady for two more years. It's just weird to me to think that the Buccaneers have made it four years in a row. They did win on the wild card round in 2021, but have lost their last two playoff games, uh, divisional in 2021, and then were beaten up pretty good by the Cowboys in 2022 in Brady's last game. Happy to see them here. And can I just quick point out that if Baker Mayfield was wearing a Joe Burrow or a Justin Herbert uniform, we'd all be talking about how amazingly he played last night. But instead, it's, oh yeah, it's Baker's, it's a fluke, he got lucky, it's the coaching, it's Mike Evans. Baker Mayfield will never get credit for anything that he does or how well he plays. He's going to get all the blame and be talked about as a bust, even though he steered that team to a 32-9 to win. He did, but like you mentioned, man, that Eagles team was really just in a complete collapse, complete downfall as well. So good on Baker for doing what he did against them and it, it certainly counts for something but man that that eagle scheme was just pitiful 
And it's this this is not news. This has been happening in the NFL for a while, but it really stood out to me watching this weekend. And these are good professionals, you know, guys like Alex Anzalone and Minka Fitzpatrick are two that come to mind, who I saw just whiff on tackles. They just run lower their shoulder. There's no wrapping. There's no follow through. It's just I just I'm just going to hit this guy really hard and he's going to fall down. And then you have these receivers and backs and tight ends getting touchdowns they have no business getting. And then it was really bad with the Eagles. Several defensive backs for them, safeties, cornerbacks were just trying to bounce off guys, not extending their arms, not doing anything textbook, getting out of position. And there's the six foot six beast of a man, Mike Evans, who if you need to tackle any wide receiver, tackle him. But that's what really that's what really I really noticed with the Eagles is just basic fundamental tackling was nowhere to be found. Yep. Yep. I did. I didn't really watch much of that game, but that was my understanding of it is that the Eagles just were not tackling. It was poor tackling all the way around. And yeah, you're obviously, you're not going to have a good time in the NFL playoffs if you're not able to tackle at all. Yeah, I I tried to stick it out and man, it, it got harder as the game went on. Eventually I just pulled the plug and said, I can't, the Eagles are cooked. Um, Random uh, side question on that. Is the NFC East going to have all four new coaches next year? Because there's now word that Brian Dable's on the hot seat and some of the former coaches there that he's canned or upset are now, you know, those chickens are coming home to roost. Hmm. Well, I certainly think Mike McCarthy should be done. I I don't know why that hasn't been done immediately. I mean, last year's blunder, this year's just no-show. Um, getting rid of Nick Sirianni after, you know, going to the Super Bowl, I think it's really more about getting the right coordinators back in there in Philly. Uh, you got to get rid of Matt Patricia, obviously, with the way the defense is played. Can't bring back Matt Patricia if you're Sirianni. So I'm going to go no. I think Mike McCarthy will lose his job. Maybe Dable will lose his job. But I don't think so. I think Gable and Sirianni are getting another year at least. Yeah, I don't think you can get rid of Sirianni the year after making it to the Super Bowl and he got them to 11 and 6. But so there's, there's a fly in the ointment somewhere with the Eagles. They need to exercise those demons in, in the offseason. But yeah, I, I think it's too rash of a move to get rid of Sirianni this fast. The demon is a guy named Matt Patricia. <laughs> I'll just. Throw it out there. Matt Patricia's had a really bad run, coaching run, in the past six years or so. You can just go follow wherever Belichick gets hired. Yes, so then that team can become a walking disaster. <laughs> um. Yeah, so to wrap those up, Saturday night, we have the Packers going to San Francisco. San Francisco, a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Sunday afternoon, the Bucks at the Lions. The Lions getting six and a, or Lions six-and-a-half-point favorite. So I will, I'll take the two favorites in that one. Yeah, I'll take the underdog, the underdog Packers, and obviously the favorite lines. And going over to the AFC, your Saturday matinee game, the Texans, the upstart Texans, going to the big dogs. They have to go to Baltimore, the top overall seed, probably the top team in the NFL during the regular season. Playoff will will we get playoff Lamar? Has he really corrected things here? The Texans are a fun story, but that Ravens defense is terrifying, and I think Lamar can do just enough to get them to the AFC Championship. This is going to be a fun game. Um, I know everybody's looking forward to Bills Chiefs. Maybe 
that we're going to talk about, but I think you've got two really great quarterbacks here. I think the Texans offense is rolling. Maybe their defense lives a little bit to be desired. Um, and we'll see what it's like for the Ravens coming off that rest factor. They've definitely blown it in the Lamar Jackson era in some big spots where they've been favored. And I don't think they're going to blow it here. Uh, but I do think this is going to be a close game. I think the Ravens are going to pull this out by a field goal. I think in the end, they'll be just a little bit too physical for Houston. But I think CJ Stroud is once again going to show well and we're going to see why uh, the Houston Texans have found their guy at quarterback I'm trying to pull up here Houston's playoff history uh, because Baltimore does have a bit of a bad streak of losing in big situations Um, so they lost last year in the wild card round lost in the divisional to the Bills in 2020 the one that I was thinking of was the 2019 where they were the number one uh, number one seed and lost in the divisional against the Titans. And it was a pretty ugly game, but they lost. So 18-19, they were one and done. In 2022, they were one and done. They did get a win in 2020. But if I'm thinking of this correctly, one and four in five playoff games with Lamar Jackson as the starting quarterback. So he's mm. going to have to turn that around and... I don't think that the Texans are not pushovers in this one. So I think it's going to be a closer game than a lot of people are giving it credit. Ravens are nine point favorites from the line that I'm seeing. Yeah. I don't think the Ravens are covering that. I, I would take the Texans on that because I think truly, I think the Texans can win this game. Um, I'm just a firm believer in CJ Stroud. I know it was only one performance, but it was against the Browns defense who we thought was, really good and that was the thing with Jordan Love we thought this Cowboys defense was really good we thought the Browns defense was elite and both both Love and Stroud just shredded through both of those defenses now I think the Ravens defense is pretty good but um, it may not matter with a guy like CJ Stroud and he that connection he has with Nico Collins is special he can he can just find ways to do things. He was he was playing playing like a veteran quarterback in the in the playoffs, as was Love. And so I, yeah, I really think this is uh, this is not an easy game for the Baltimore Ravens at all. So when people want to try to argue that defense wins championships, we have a lot of quarterbacks against good defenses that are proving that's not the case in the NFL anymore. I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's the case in the NFL anymore. I think it's all about is your quarterback playing at a high level at the right time? And the answer for the Houston Texans is yes, and so therefore they have a chance. And for the Texans, they've had so much coaching turnover, but they did win in the wild card round in 2019 and then lost in the divisional and then had three years of no playoffs, so kind of wiping the slate clean, kind of like the Texans and the Lions are the two teams here, and with starting new traditions and new runs, not like the Ravens or the Chiefs have kind of been around for a while. Um, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a close game. It's gonna be a, this is probably number three, I would say, on your rankings of you know general public. Uh, the game we're gonna get to, I think, is number one. I think your Niners Packers is two. This is probably three, and then Detroit Tampa is four. 
think it's going to be smash mouth. It's going to be hard hitting. I think D'Amico Ryan's going to have his guys ready, but give me, give me Baltimore, like a 23, 17 close game. Yeah, I can respect that. I think it'll be something like 27 to 24 Baltimore. And to cap things off, the Sunday night main events, Kansas City Chiefs going to the Buffalo Bills. I have not stayed up to see what the weather situation is going to be like in Buffalo. I can't imagine it's going to be as bad as it was in either of these cities this past weekend. The Bills, the two seed, the Chiefs, the three seed, the Bills are two and a half point favorites. This has become one of the best interconference rivalries, I think, of the last couple of years. Do you prefer Chiefs Bengals or Chiefs Bills? Because I feel like those I are think Chiefs. <laughs> Chiefs Bengals probably because it's been a little bit more um I mean beyond that NFC AFC sorry not NFC what am I thinking AFC championship last year Joe Burrow had kind of owned Patrick Mahomes right whereas with Chiefs Bills it's kind of like the Chiefs always end up winning this game in the Mahomes versus Allen era um and you you never really feel threatened by the Bills in this scenario. Now, I, I think that might change here for the first time. Um, but, I yeah, I prefer Chiefs-Bengals because it feels like it's a closer matchup. So, Kansas City has been in five straight AFC title games dating back to 2018. They've won two of them, so the last two years, they beat the Bengals, the Bengals beat them, and then it was Chiefs-Bills back in 2020. So Kansas City has owned the AFC, we know that. Just feels like these have become the two best rivalries in the NFL since kind of Brady and Manning and that era faded away. We got into the 2020s, and these feel like the top three teams. NFC is a little bit more topsy-turvy, got a lot more teams mixing in there. But I like what we have here with Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow, and hopefully we get to have all three of them facing off like it was when it was back in the good old days of like Aikman and Steve Young and Joe Montana, and you could kind of hang your hat on those guys being in there, or Dan Marino and John Elway, Jim Kelly on the other side, but I'll stop waxing nostalgic about vintage. Uh, I like this game. I want points. I want offense. I want excitement. I want not many camera cuts to Taylor Swift, and I want the Bills to win. Well, I'm sorry, but you're going to get a lot of camera cuts to Taylor Swift. Uh, this game is going to be all Swift all the time. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Uh, the one thing I'll say here about the Bills is they keep having defensive guys just keep going down. I think they lost Taron Johnson. Uh, and they might have lost Bernard, too. I feel like they just keep losing key defenders. It's kind of like the Dolphins. And for whatever reason, I wasn't feeling any sort of good about the Chiefs coming into the playoffs. Um, But I think they really are getting a favorable draw here with Miami, who they took care of business against. I mean, it was just kind of sad. Miami couldn't really do anything in that game. They weren't at all prepared for the weather they you know their defense wasn't prepared at all i think the bills are definitely a better version but 
man, they have their warts too. And Josh Allen has had some turnover issues this season that have propped up. And I think Kansas City is going to do just enough offensively. I don't think they're the juggernaut that they have been. Um, Travis Kelsey is definitely slowing down, but I think the Chiefs are going to win this game, but it's going to be close. I, I feel like the Chiefs are going to barely pull it out, maybe a last-second field goal type situation. This should be a classic, but I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring, high-flying classic. I think this is going to be a tighter, more defensive game than what people realize. It's just, uh, yeah, the mar- the marquee matchup. I was just looking here at the first round. You mentioned the the Texans blowing out the Browns, who we thought were good. Really felt like the AFC, these two games, we just assumed that Kansas City and Buffalo were going to be there, and Miami and Pittsburgh really didn't give either team too much strife. I like that Allen is spreading the ball around. We've seen what James Cook can do. That Buffalo offensive line, I think, has really come together with Deion Dawkins and Spencer Brown and Osiris Torrance has been a great addition for them inside. Josh Allen looks like he's healthy getting the ball to a variety of guys who are not named Stephon Diggs. I think Diggs can still be your big play guy. Kansas City's going to turn it on. They're going to score points. They're going to do Kansas City things. Just call it picking with my heart again, but give me bills in. I want points. I think I'm going to go a little bit away from you and go with the points here. I want like a like a 35-33 in a close classic. Uh, no, I think this is going to be something more like a 20 to 17 type game where I think the Chiefs are barely going to pull it out. Maybe a couple of touchdowns by Mahomes, a couple of touchdowns by Allen, and uh, late field goals is the difference. I'm cons- like Buffalo has all their secondary injured, but Kansas City also doesn't have wide receivers. So, well, Rasheed Rice did have a pretty good game against the Dolphins, so maybe he can do that in back-to-back weeks. But I'm not going to necessarily count on that. Um, so that's again a part of why I think there's going to be a lot more running in this game than people realize. I think Pacheco is going to be. <laughs> this could turn into a Pacheco versus James Cook type type of deal. That We're highlighting Mahomes versus Allen, and then it's going right. to turn into a Pacheco versus James Cook. While most people at home are sitting looking up, who is James Cook? Dalvin Cook's younger brother who went to Georgia, who now plays for the Buffalo Bills. Let me save you the time. <laughs> All right. So recap the AFC here. I'm going Ravens and a close one over the Texans and Buffalo and a nail biter. Over the Chiefs, which means I have chalk. I have both one seeds, the two seed Buffalo and the three seed Lions as my final four. Yep, yep. You went all chalk, and I had to pick an underdog in each conference and a favorite. So I've got Packers, Lions, and I've got Ravens, Chiefs. Random, random thought. Taking away your Packer bias, best home uniform of the eight teams remaining. Best home uniform. Because I was watching the game the other night, and I forgot how much I like Tampa's uniforms. They wouldn't be my pick on this, but when they do the red tops with the pewter pants, it looks so good. And we never get to see Tampa because they're usually not good unless Tom Brady's there. But I just I love Buffalo's. I think Buffalo has the best uniform in the NFL. 
Houston's good. San Francisco's good. I do like your Packers when they do the green on yellow. But I, I kind of like Detroit's, man. I kind of like Detroit's look. The the blue on blue or the blue on silver? The blue on silver. Okay, that's fair. I, I didn't like the all blue. It was too much blue for me. Yeah, not the all blue. The blue on silver, I think, is kind of a classic look. But I don't know. I don't know if this is really the good. There's something about the Ravens jerseys, too. Maybe it's just the color purple. And it's not the Vikings, so they're, like, actually good, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, maybe maybe there's something with that. But I don't know. Not really great uniform playoffs really? right now. Not in my opinion, no. No. I need to get updated on everybody's uniforms and alternates one of these days. But for me, Buffalo is always, or since they kind of redesigned, that's such a sharp look to me. The blue tops and the white helmets. I, I really like Atlanta's uniforms, but I don't. Ooh. Yeah, I, I like Atlanta's uniforms. Uh, I'm one of those people who likes Atlanta's uniforms. I love red and black together. I just don't like the way they do it. It's like Oregon State, the Beavers. I love black and orange together, but there's they do such a bad job with it. Hmm. We can do a whole uniform episode one of these weeks when we're in between sports. We definitely can. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Hall of Fame players. Just a quick thing here. So with the retirement news of Jason Kelsey, who's uh, basically a surefire Hall of Famer, I think six-time first-team All-Pro center for the Eagles. Got me thinking, who else has been around for a very long time that may or may not be in the Hall of Fame? Not guaranteed guys like Aaron Donald and Zach Barton, but maybe some guys who have they done enough in their long career. So I looked at guys who have been around for at least 10 seasons, which takes us back to the 2024 draft, to ask your opinion of, is this guy a Hall of Famer? And these guys are all current on currently on active rosters as of this year. So I really wanted to focus on postseason guys. Okay. So ask me ask me that again. I just want to make sure I understand. I'm going to say names of guys who have been in the NFL for 10 or more seasons and are still active. Do that will they be in the Hall of Fame? If the NFL just okay. ended after the Super Bowl, would you put them in the Hall of Fame? Right. Got it. Okay. Yep. Fire away. So starting with the 2014 draft, Mike Evans. Wide receiver, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his entire career. 12,000 yards, has a Super Bowl. Yes. Also, quick side note, that same draft. So he was on the team with Johnny Manziel. Jake Matthews was an offensive tackle. So Texas A&M had a top 10 offensive tackle and a top 10 wide receiver. So if you're wondering why Johnny Manziel was so good in college. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, he was a talented college quarterback. Just his things didn't work in the NFL. Um, going down here, Derek Carr. No. Devonte Adams. Yes. Uh, C.J. Mosley, the linebacker, started with the Ravens and now with the Jets. Hmm. Sadly, no. Going up here to 2013, and really impressive that these guys stuck around in the NFL for 11 years. Uh, last night, notwithstanding for the Eagles, big play Darius Slay. Hmm. One, Great, but no, no, it's a the NFL Hall of Fame is 
a lot more restrictive than the NBA Hall of Fame. Um, so unfortunately for Darius, I think I think no. One time first team All Pro, five time Pro Bowler. Yeah, no, not enough there. Honey Badger, Teron Matthew, three time All Pro, three time Pro Bowler, played on a bunch of different teams, thirty three career picks. Does he have it? Does he have a Super Bowl to his name? No, probably not. I love Tyrant Matthew. He does not have a Super Bowl to his name. I was thinking, was he on one of those Kansas City teams? Mm. That one. Because he started, he was with Arizona for a long time, Houston, and then I think he was with Kansas City when they got one of theirs. Yeah, but he he's great, but he was never the best defender on a championship team, right? I feel like you have to be the clear-cut best defender on the championship team to make the NFL Hall of Fame and probably have to be that clear-cut number one guy for years. Maybe not a decade, but for four or five years. It's not like a a Palomalu situation with Tyrone Matthew. Two-for-one lineman special, your guy David Bakhtiari and Lane Johnson. Bakhtiari with the Packers, Lane Johnson currently still playing with the Eagles. Lane Johnson for sure. Um, Bakhtiari is an interesting case. I think the injuries might keep him out. I think he's going to be known as a Packers great. I don't know if he's going to be good enough to make the NFL Hall of Fame. Probably would have been if the injury, yeah, if the injuries hadn't really gone the way that they have for him the past few years. I'd say he's sure fire, but the injuries have derailed it. Two for one special here on wide receivers Keenan Allen and DeAndre Hopkins. Hmm. D Hop is a three time. D-Hop three-time All-Pro with five Pro Bowlers and better numbers, but Keenan Allen does have one more Pro Bowl selection, or whatever that's worth. I think Hopkins is a yes. I think Allen is a no. I think it's a little bit of a, yeah, Keenan Allen was a great wide receiver who put up a lot of numbers for a lot of years, but I think it's more of a he's a Chargers great, but not quite Hall of Fame worthy because you have to get, again, the NFL – Hall of Fame is a very uh, select club. Not everybody makes it in, and I, I think Keenan Allen might be a no. And I I love the 2012 draft. You know, guys in here that I really like, Bobby Wagner, Luke Keekley, those guys are getting in. Some of the um, Fletcher Cox is a curious one to me. Defensive tackle, been with the Eagles his entire career. Six-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro. Who, who again? Fletcher Cox. Ooh. No, I don't think so. Interesting. Kirk D. Cousins. Love the guy. No. Yeah, that's, I think he's got to have some more postseason success. I know he's put up all these bonkers numbers and super likable guy. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. No, not not there with the postseason success. Josh Norman was in that draft. Remember like those two years that Josh Norman was amazing and then totally. Oh yeah. He was one of the top corners in the league, but nope, he will not be making it. 
Another guy, I know he's one of your mortal enemies, Harrison Smith, defensive back, played his whole career with the Vikings. We'll see if he comes back next year for another run. Great numbers, a lot of years. Vikings, great, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, moving up to 2011, only 2011, 2010 here. We'll keep moving on this. Guys, so I'm, we mentioned Jason Kelsey's going to be in, Von Miller's going to be in, Tyron Smith is going to be in, Julio's going to be in from this class. But what about Cameron and Cameron? Cam Jordan with the Saints and Cam Hayward with the Steelers. Both multiple-time Pro Bowlers. Uh, Cam Jordan with one All-Pro to his name and Cam Hayward with three All-Pros to his name. I believe Cam Jordan and Cam Hayward, though, both have Super Bowl rings. And in Hayward's case, doesn't he have multiple? Oh. Because he was part of the Ben Roethlisberger run? I think he came in too late for the Roethlisberger, that first one. Because uh, he started in 2011. Wasn't that Roethlisberger one, like, right before that? That first? Yeah. Okay, so he was too late for the first one, but he was definitely the there. Second one. Second one? I think so. Okay, that's... And I think Cam Jordan was a part of the Drew Brees team. I think that was that his first year. Might have been, and he was a big part of that team. Um, so I think the Super Bowl with combined with longevity for Cam Hayward, and also for Cam Jordan, is what makes them uh Hall of Fame worthy. So I would say yes, both. Now, the whole reason I got started thinking about this last night was watching Brandon Graham play, because I've been a Brandon Graham fan forever, and he's still around 14th year in the league. So we'll go back here, the final part of this little game, going back to 2010. Not a lot of guys from this group still around, and not a lot that I think will end up being in the Hall of Fame. Trent Williams is maybe your only surefire guy. But the, the whole reason I thought about this was Brandon Graham. Is Brandon Graham a Hall of Fame player just by virtue of really longevity? Solid player, has a Super Bowl ring with the Eagles. Um, trying to see what his one-time Pro Bowler is it. Don't think so. Sadly, I don't think so. Actually, when I look at this, 2010 is a little bit loaded with some very interesting personalities. Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Navarro Bowman, and Dominican Sue, Earl Thomas, the Pouncey Twins, Geno Atkins, some... Interesting dudes in the 2010 draft. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Brandon Graham's really the only one still active. A lot of the really good guys have faded out. Tyson Alualu is still somehow on an active roster. So you got that. I'm sorry, who? <laughs> exactly. Tyson Alualu. He was drafted 10th overall that year by Jacksonville. And people are like, wait, who? Because it was like a really solid draft class. Like, they passed on, again, Brandon Graham. They passed on JPP. There was all these guys. Jerry Hughes fell way down in that draft, and people were like, who is this random defensive tackle of the Jags? And that explains why the Jags were what they were for most of the 2010s. Definitely. Because, yeah, I, I do not know who that is. <laughs> He's somehow still in the league. Good for him. All right, anything else here we need to get to on this week's show? No, I mean, uh, we're in the heat of basketball season. There's a lot of good college basketball, a lot of good NBA basketball going on right now. Um, looking forward to being able to talk just basketball with you. 
once football kind of wraps up. I need to start paying attention because I see Memphis is finally as good as they're supposed to be. Wake Forest is somehow good. Gonzaga's bad. It's a it's an interesting time. It is a little bit of an interesting time, and I feel like we say this every year, but I truly mean it this year. It's wide open in terms of the national championship. I legitimately don't know who's going to win because I'm not going to put my faith in Purdue. Houston and Kansas have shown their warts. Uh, UConn is looking good, um, but I'm not necessarily sure if they have the goods to get it done. And I don't know who I believe in beyond that. Iowa State did beat Houston, just as a reminder. Yeah, uh, don't worry, Iowa State's not in it um, in terms of winning it at all. Uh, North Carolina, maybe they're back enough, or Duke, or Tennessee, or Kentucky. It might be a year where we get UNC, Duke, or Kentucky again, and I I don't want it, but feels like it could happen. Maybe Auburn is the sneaky good team. Auburn is definitely a team that people should watch. If you haven't watched Auburn play a college basketball game, I would watch Auburn play. They're actually fun to watch. They love to get up and down. They want to score 95 points a game. It's it's fun. It's fun basketball. They are number four in the beloved Ken Palm. Yep, and there's a reason for that, so but number 13 in the AP. So it's always good to look at teams that the analytics say better than what the, they're better than what the public perception is. And Auburn is definitely one of those teams right now. People might catch on to them by the time March rolls around though. Place your bets early folks while the odds are still good and everybody else is betting their money on Purdue and Houston. Put your, uh, Oh yeah. Put your, and put your money on uh, Auburn spreads, man. Auburn is a is an absolute wagon when it comes to uh, covering the spread. You heard it here first. <laughs> Go get your Auburn bets in. I was just looking here on their interstate right intrastate rival Alabama, number one in the Ken Palm offense, fifty eighth on defense. Yeah, uh, Alabama is an interesting team as well. They shoot they shoot a ton of threes and they make a ton of threes, so that's probably why they're number one on offense. And like you said, the defense is not bad, but they definitely need it to be better to be considered for that. Uh, the metrics that we always talk about when we're talking about potential national champion, they're a team that can make a deep run in the right scenario, but I don't think they're a team that can legitimately win at all. And scrolling through all these here, haven't looked at this in a couple of weeks and it's interesting to see the dichotomy in some of these teams like Alabama or Princeton, who is a, wild swing from offense to defense or your Hawkeyes. Another good example. Yeah, they're, um, they're getting a little bit, uh, I don't know. I, they, they're definitely on the bubble, probably solidly not in at this point. Um, but they have won the past three games in a row. They're top 20 in offense, but 120th in defense, according to Ken Baum. But since January, according to Ken Palm and Bart Torvik, which is another Ken Palm-like analytic thing, I was playing like the 21st 
best team in the nation since we turned the calendar to the new year. They've turned on the defense a little bit in the new year, and the offense hasn't fallen off. So part of that is just they're playing some bad Big Ten teams. The Big Ten might be bad outside of uh, Purdue and Wisconsin and Illinois. Really, Purdue, Wisconsin, and Illinois will be carrying the conference this year. And beyond that, I really don't know who's NCAA tournament worthy. It's always fun when it's a wide open race. See how the dust settles here January, February. Really find out what your team is made of. Absolutely. I I love college basketball, man. I'm watching small-time college basketball. I just got done watching Western Carolina play Samford, which doesn't sound good on paper, but it was the battle of two teams that have 15-2 and two records going at it, and it came down to the absolute last second. And Don't, don't sleep on uh, the Drake Bulldogs. I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, the Drake Bulldogs are a team that could – absolutely make some noise in an NCAA tournament setting. Interesting. Tucker DeVries. That's the name to remember. The uh, four-star recruit that could have gone anywhere in the country but chose to go to Drake and play for his dad as a coach instead. And then you've got Darnell Brody, who's been there for forever, and he's a seven-footer that can legitimately banging the post with anyone on any level, and they've got some other good guard play around that that makes them an NCAA tournament caliber team. So I really, really like this year's version of the Drake Bulldogs. I think they're a good team, and they're going to be a tough out for someone when they get to the NCAA tournament this year. We will keep you posted on College of Basketball and as the season progresses, give you a little bit more insight to help you with your brackets and your picks along the way. Speaking of picks, one quick thing here, UFC 297 coming up Saturday night from Toronto, Canada. So predictably card filled with a lot of Canadian names. Not a huge card. Uh, I talked about this last week. Not a lot of names that I'm super familiar with outside of that top. The middleweight belt, Sean Strickland, who's going hell-bent for leather, an absolute warrior since he stunned Israel Adesanya to win the belt. He's back here taking on Drikas Duplessis, uh, South African number two contender. I like both these guys. I'll come out of this happy whoever wins. The champion Strickland is a minus 130 to Duplessis, the plus 110. Would love to see Strickland keep this going, but I'm also confident enough in DDP to sprinkle a few dollars on him. This one's a toss-up for me. I just... You know, don't have anybody I really hate in this fight. Um, my, I'll I'll go DDP, but if he loses, so be it. Give me Strickland just to be different. Very very likable, fun fighter. Maybe the best fighter of twenty twenty three. So see if he can start out twenty 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 four in the same way. Um, give give me a war and a huge fight that they can run back so we can get it twice. Sounds good. Yep, give me Strickland. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for this week's show. Enjoy some UFC, enjoy some college basketball, enjoy NBA. And then Saturday and Sunday from basically late afternoon till you go to bed four football games to stick it straight into my veins. Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. Um, and before that, 
Iowa taking on number one Purdue. So at home. So love that. I might actually head my way, head on over to Iowa City. Nice. For that one. Have to. I feel like I have to. I've never seen Zach Eady in person, and this might be my last chance. So we will see. Let's see Fran throw something. Oh, Fran, all-time winningest coach in Iowa men's basketball history. He just passed Tom Davis last night. Dr. Tom Davis? Dr. Tom Davis, yep. So, Fran, best coach in Iowa men's basketball history. There you have it. Are you willing to go out and say that, best? Oh, yeah. I'm willing to say that, actually. Because... um. I mean, Tom Davis is beloved, but really his best years were built on the back of guys that a man by the name of Lute Olson recruited. Right. Yeah. So I will, um, Fran took over for a guy named Todd Licklider who had (laughs) Iowa basketball basically as a national joke. Um, And Fran has built it up into a thing where we consistently make the NCAA tournament now. A lot of people maligned him for not making the Sweet 16, but that's that's not all on Fran McCaffrey. And also, he's done a good job of putting guys into the NBA as well with the Murray Twins. Garza has his two-way deal. Um, and he's got some guys on this year's team who could eventually make it there as well. So I think Fran... Um, and it just the train keeps on rolling. Lose Garza, make the NCAA tournament. Lose Keegan Murray, make it. Lose Chris Murray, we'll see. But they are they're definitely playing like they might make it. So I think it's just a lot of friends take Fran McCaffrey for granted, and they look at the sideline antics and they're tired of it. But I don't know who else could consistently get us into the NCAA tournament at Iowa. So got to respect Fran for that. I was scrolling through here. We have plenty of time to talk about this in the future weeks and months, but UFC 299 and 300, our beloved Sugar Sean O'Malley's headlining 299, defending his belt against Cheeto Vera. Lots of other good names. Dustin Poirier, Gilbert Burns, Curtis Blades, Macy Barber, Caitlin Trukagian, Rafael Dos Anjos, Piotr Jan. A lot of good names on that. UFC Ooh. 300 doesn't have a headliner. It's still titled TBD versus TBD, which makes me think that they're still trying to set a couple big fights. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, John Jones. But Whaley Zhang defending her belt. Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway bumping up a weight. Charles Oliveira defending against Armin Sarukian, who is one of the breakout fighters of 2023. Yuri Prochaska and Alexander Rakic. Calvin Cater, Aljamain Sterling, Bo Nickel, Davison Figueredo, Cody Garbrandt, Jim Miller. They are loading up UFC 300 with just throwing everything at the wall. So we'll have plenty of February and March and April to get into those. But yeah, UFC is going for broke on UFC 300 and 299. Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah, I will not be missing either one of those. So, but all right. Good episode tonight. All right. Happy to have you all with us. And... We'll see you next time. Keep your stick on the ice.